if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. On Horse Chats today, we've got Jennifer Cochillo here again. Now, Jennifer's a uh, movement body awareness specialist for equestrians, and she's given us quite a few exercises in her last chats to go through to help improve our position, improve our contact and connection with the horse. Today, we're going to be talking about, um, actually, I'm going to be throwing in some things that as a riding instructor, I might say, if I'm getting lessons myself, a riding instructor might say to me, or I just hear other riding instructors say, and I'm sure that if you've seen a lesson, heard a lesson, and just thought, how, how is this interpreted? Then I'm going to ask Jennifer to uh, interpret it for us. But before we do that, we just want to remind you that welfare is of utmost importance when humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, you'll only see methods that promote safe and humane methods of interaction between horses and human. If horse welfare is important to you, then go to internationalhorsecollege.com. Now, Jennifer, are you there? I sure am. Ah, oh, wonderful. Jennifer, today we've been chatting about this. There's quite a few things that as a student, I hear my riding instructor say, I then try and interpret to my students and say certain things, or I hear other instructors say certain things. Now, I'm going to tell you that, but I'd like you to, in your specialist, um, as a movement body awareness specialist, you're going to interpret this, which I think will help people understand. You know, it's always, it's always nice to have things explained a different way. So if I say something like, Keep your hands still. Now, I say it, you know, you're, you're trotting and the hands are bouncing all over the place. The hands should be still in trot. They might move and follow the movement with walk and canter, but in the trot, they should be still. If we say, keep your hands still, tell us how you could interpret that for a rider so that they understand that better. Well, I think at least I can remember for me as a young child, I took everything very literally. So if someone said to me, keep your hands still, how I would interpret that was if I'm going to keep my hands still, it's going to get really rigid. I'm going to keep my hands still. I'm going to hold onto the reins. If I hold onto the reins still, that means my arm is going to be still. I'm going to be still. I become rigid. So obviously we don't want that. We want quiet hands. We want hands that have feel. And the only way you can keep a hand still is to be able to disassociate really your whole arm from your body. Okay. Because your body, your tush is what's attached to the saddle and the horse. It is going to be moving. It should be moving with the horse, but it is moving. If my arm is part of my body, and it's not disassociated with my body. It's going to move with my body. So if you're sitting there at home and you just put your upper arm next to your torso and rock back and forth you're up and down, my hand goes up and down. If I can say, oh, I want to let go in my shoulder joint, now I can rock my body and my arm doesn't go anywhere. So hands still really doesn't have anything to do with your hands. It has to do with your shoulders. It's the ability to disassociate your shoulders from your hands. Now, I think a really good way to practice this off the horse is to stand in front of a wall, close your hands into fists, and put your fists on the wall, bend your knees a little bit, and then bounce up and down. Or canter, you know, put your body in a canter movement or a walk movement or a trot movement. And your hand can stay very still while the rest of you moves. But you ha your body has to learn how to let go in a certain place and stay 
balanced on its own. I think so much for beginners, or yeah, beginners mostly, they don't have the balance in their torso, so they kind of use their arms to help balance, so you get tension in your arms. As soon as you get tension in your arms, your arm kind of automatically locks into your shoulder girdle, and as soon as it's locked into your shoulder girdle, it's going to move with your whole body. So that's one thing. Another thing that is important, I think, to be able to do is, can I hold on to a rein and take all the muscle out of my arm? So in my, in Jen's perfect world, if I have my arms in a riding position, I can close my hand Without moving my bones, I can let my my muscles go. And that's the feel I want. As soon as I do that, I can feel, you know, you hear the term heavy elbows, heavy shoulders. That's what people are trying to talk, talk to you about. They're trying to have you let go in your muscles so that your arm is hanging independently of your body. And if it is, then your hands can stay still. Yeah, I, I understand with the rigidity. And I like the way that you've said, you know, about keeping your hands quiet rather than still. I think that explains really what we need is quiet hands. What about, and this is another one where I see, you know, it, it's heels down. I don't so much do it now, but I know a lot of people are teaching heels down. I'd rather say, you know, a little more weight in your heels. Yeah. I don't know, do you say bring your toes up or, you know, what's what's a better way to say? because if you say heels down, often the heels go down, the lower leg shoots forward and, and the leg just becomes rigid. What's a better way to say that and talk about that? You're, you're absolutely right. What I see is in people's very, because they don't have a lot of ankle mobility, it's very rigid. In, they're trying really hard to push their heels down, but what they do is straighten their knee and their leg shoots out in front of them. And then now, of course, you've lost all of your balance you know, ear, shoulder, hip, heel, right? So now the balance is off and then you're going to hang on even more and blah, blah, blah. So again, I like to envision, I like, you know, drop your weight. You can do that. Some people, again, I find at least a lot of the people I teach are such A-type personalities. If a little is good, a lot is better. So man, they are jamming those heels down or... Sometimes pulling the toes up will help, but sometimes, again, they pull them up so hard that it just locks that heel. And again, I am looking for the cascading effect, that bounce, not bouncing, that slinky effect of energy and movement going through your whole body. So I want to, I will often say, allow your movement to fall through your heel, through your ankles. It's really not your heels. It's really your ankles. Your ankles need to be able to be supple and move and be flowing and flexible. Again, the minute you lock anything into a position, it cascades up through your whole body and stiffness is not what we want. Our horses want freedom, flow. Um, yes, we want weight low. We want weight down. But then I, I actually think of, you know, a lot of para riders who may not have lower legs or feet and their weight can, your weight can be down and around the horse without a shove at the very bottom. Um, so another good way to practice this movement is, um, I don't know if uh, your clients your uh, listeners know what a BOSU ball is. It's a half of a ball. It's about two and a half feet wide. And it's like, yeah, half a ball. And you can stand on it and do exercises on it. It's very bouncy. Or you could do it on a little trampoline. And bend your knees a little bit and maybe think about the trampoline. That is the feeling you want in your knees and your ankles as you're riding. It's a flow. It's, there is nothing rigid about it. If you have really rigid ankles, I think the best thing to do is to do some exercises off the horse. Sometimes it's your Achilles tendon. You can sort of pluck at that. 
The other thing that is often tight is your calf muscle. What you can do to help with that is starting up at the top of your calf, sort of on the right side and left side, grab onto it and kind of really push on either side and point and flex your foot. I don't know, six, seven, eight times, move your fingers down, go all the way down your calf and then go all the way back up to try to get to let your calf get longer and your ankle to let go. But just to tell someone to, sh- to shove something into a position really is not very helpful. Yeah, yeah. The exercise, if people, uh, you know, I just thought the um, ankle exercise you talked about last time where the hand rotates the ankles, that would have to help, wouldn't it? Absolutely. That's another great one. If you're just sitting there and let your hands move or, or your, your significant other, somebody other moving that around. Actually, and the other thing that is really helpful and it feels so good is if you take your hands and you kind of fold your feet um, horizontally so um, and vertically, so your toes down towards your heels and then the right side to the left side and get a lot more pliability in our, our feet um, because all of there's so many bones in your feet and your ankles, and they're all kind of connected together. They all need to flex and move. And again, so many people, you know, wear shoes that are too tight, too small. Your feet get kind of stuck and crammed in there like little rocks. We want movement everywhere um, or the ability to have movement. Um, so that's another good one. Just massage those feet. Mm-hmm. Now. Another one, and this is particularly in canter, about keeping the legs still. Sometimes an instructor might say, keep the legs still in canter. You know, the, the rider might be trying to follow the, the movement with their seat and then they've got told to keep their legs still. Sometimes they say, how? You know, how can we do that, keeping our legs still? Yeah, yeah. and that's a tough, that, that's a really tough thing because for me, your legs are really, I'll call it three parts, your calf area, and they all blend in together, your knee area and your thigh area. And uh, well, let's use the canter and let's think about right leg canter. And I'm going to start at the top. In order for your body to canter correctly, that, that hip joint has to be able to move. Your femur head, the top of your thigh bone, has to be able to rotate down and up in that in that socket. Um, and then your pelvis has to be able to push forward and 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 then slide back and push forward and slide back. There's a lot of mobility that has to happen in that joint. The second you close down your thigh, it locks that joint. So oftentimes what I'll see people and beginners, people trying to figure this out, you know, again, they, oh my gosh, I'm cantering. Oh my gosh, I'm cantering. It's kind of scary. And they clamp on, they clamp on with their thighs. As soon as that happens, it locks that joint. The horse goes, oh, mom's hip isn't rotating. It's not cantering. I better trot. And they trot. And then, you know, and it becomes this vicious, vicious cycle. So I like to tell people that um, because I understand being afraid and, and nervous about falling off, that if you need to have a place to hold on, and I'm going to give you that, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to let you hold on. But whether I want you to hold on, and you can hold on as tight as you want until you get better, and that is your calf. Wherever your calf naturally drapes across the horse, I'm going to let you hold on there. You don't get to hold on with your thighs. You don't get to hold on with your knees. But if you need to hold on, if you really need to hold on, hold on with your calf. Because if you hold on with your calf, it does not interfere with any joint movement. It doesn't interfere with your hip. It doesn't interfere with your knee. And it doesn't interfere with your ankle. Do I want someone clutching on with their calves? No, but sometimes do they need to have that little blanket of, of security? Absolutely. So hang on there. Let that be your, I call it an anchor point. 
Let that be your anchor point. I also use that. A lot of times I'll see it with people learning to post the trot. They grab on with their lower thigh and their knee. And as they go up, their lower leg swings back, swings back, swings back, swings back. And I'll say, same thing. Look, your anchor point isn't quite right. Lower your anchor point. I'm going to let you have an anchor point there, but keep it in your calf, in your calf. And usually for most people, some people won't understand that. And I'll say, hey, feel right where the saddle, bottom of the saddle flap hits your leg. Hug right there, just right there, not any higher. Because then again, in the posting, it allows your hip joint and your knee joint to do what they need to do. Um, so that to me is the best way to try to still a lower leg. Um, the other thing that I have found that happens with a leg that is too tight or that people want to clamp on with their inner thighs is that their inner thigh tendons and, and, um, muscles are tight relative to the outside of their leg. So you'll say, I'll say, but you're gripping with the thighs and they'll look at me and go, no, they're not, I'm not <laughs> gripping. I'm not gripping at all. It's so unconscious. It's just so natural to their muscle tone that we need to find another way to help that. Again, in the last episode, we talked about putting a ball in between um, your legs and doing some exercises. The other thing I will do as an instructor is actually walk up to somebody get their leg in the right place, and then do some manual stretching on them, pulling their leg down and back, putting my hand in the front of their thigh and rotating um, the knee out just to get, stretch those inner inter, um, thigh muscles to get them to be a little less gripping. Um, again, I think some people don't even realize what they're, they don't understand, they don't know what they're doing. So it needs to be a little bit of both. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now, and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Just... um. You know, we're trying to get rid of the rigidity, being rigid. But another one I find sends riders rigid is when they get told to sit up straight. How can we ask riders to sit in a better position but without the rigidity? What can we say there to them? How can we explain that? You know, I, I <laughs> this is going to sound awful. I blame my mother and the military for this. Um, my my mother used to always say, you know, stand up straight, you're slouching, stand up straight. And what you would do is if you think about like a military posture, which is really not straight at all, it's a very arched back, chest is up, it's very rigid. You know, it's very, it's locked knees, it's a very rigid thing. And so I think many people in their mind's eye interpret that as being upright. And I would I would actually say that it is an arched position. All right. So for me, and when I get people into this position, they'll always tell me I'm leaning forward. I'm leaning forward. I'm leaning forward. And I'm like, you sit right there. Don't move. Let me walk your horse over to the mirror. And they look and they're like, oh, I'm completely straight. So for a skeleton to be completely upright, if you line their pubic bone up with their breastbone, and both of those things are perpendicular to the ground, you will be completely upright. It sounds easy. It is not easy to do. 
people will feel like they are folding forward. But what they're doing is people are so used to sitting up and arching their back. So another good example of this is if people would stand up and kind of bend their knees and bounce a little bit. If you arch your back, you'll feel how awful that feels. It's like bang, 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 bang. If you come forward and find a place where your breastbone and your pubic bone are perpendicular to the floor and bounce, you'll feel that lovely, that lovely feeling that we're trying to get. All right. Now you still may want to feel a little more, I'll call it elegant. And then the word that I will use for people is I want you to levitate, levitate out of all of your joints. And if you sit even in a chair and you think, I'm going to levitate, what happens in your body, the tone in your body versus if I said, let us sit up straight, is a very different thing. Very, very different. Now, for younger people, this person doesn't work. But for older people, I will tell them to look like and act like and hold your body like Audrey Hepburn. She was very upright and very graceful, but there wasn't anything rigid about her. And I have to say, I have not found a younger person that meets that same criteria. The other thing that has to happen in order to be upright is you have to have very strong abdominal muscles. If you try to sit up straight and arch, you'll feel that your belly elongates and your breastbone starts going up towards the ceiling. I need that breastbone down. Now you'll hear people say, I want you to ride your horse up the hill and I want your breastbone to go up. I get that. I get that but it has to be in conjunction with your pelvis too. So both of those things is a very, to me, a very, very advanced move to be able to keep your pubic bone and your breastbone in alignment and shift that whole, whole torso in an upward, slightly uphill balance. I want to get first upright and then we can shift things around a little bit. The other idea of getting someone to sit up straight is imagine if someone grabs your hair, the back of your head, not the top of your head, the back of your head and lift it up. If you feel that, your spine gets longer. I want your spine to get longer. I don't want it to arch back. Okay, I'm just thinking because, you know, you talked about the military posture and the breastbone, but that'd be chest up as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, chest up. It's a ch- it's a definitely it's it's chest up, which is kind of the next the next thing. Um, and again, what I think is happening, if we, you know, sometimes I think it's hard as an instructor to go, where really is the problem? So I can envision a rider that's sort of slumping forward. Okay, I'm doing it right now. And someone says, bring your chest up and you can bring your chest up and arch your back. But then my my shoulders are still sort of slumping forward. What if instead as an instructor, I see someone, I think they're slumping. And instead of doing that, we do the let's take a shoulder a little forward, a little up and way back, a little forward, a little up, way back. All of a sudden, your chest is going to look much more upright. You're going to look much more upright, but you are not going to be in a military position. All right. The next one, we get a lot of riders and, and, you know, usually I suppose it's just natural to look at what you're doing. So riders, particularly if they're not under instruction a lot, not being told, they're riding around in seemingly endless circles or whatever, but looking down. They're not looking up, you know, which becomes dangerous at a competition. If everyone's riding around looking down, it's, you know, so you get told to look up. 
but are we by saying look up, are we creating problems or do we just say look up and then they learn to look up and there's no other problems involved? Well, here's the thing. All right, again, I'm all about movement in the spine. All right. And we're going to do a little experiment. All right. We're going to think about our pole, that occipital joint, that little indentation in the back of your neck. And we're going to think about what your neck feels like. Okay. So first of all, I'm going to look down. I'm going to like look down at my feet and I feel tension in the muscles just below my occipital joint. Do you feel that? When you look down, there's a little tension there. Yep. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to look way up, way up at the ceiling. And you feel there's tension in your neck, right? Yep. Okay. So, yeah. So that's too much. I want to find where I have no muscle tension in my neck, but yet I'm looking up. So oftentimes what I see when someone says, look up, they, so now I want you to just raise your chin about an inch. And now I can still feel tension in my, around that occipital joint. All right. What happens if I take my nose, the bottom of my nose, and everybody's nose is a little bit different, but the bottom of my nose and take it just one iota down from parallel to the ground, one smidge. I'm still looking up, I'm still looking out, but now I have no tension in my neck. Can you find that spot? Yes, I think so, yes, yes. Okay, so play with that. If you lift your nose up a little bit, you'll feel a little tension. I'm, I feel it even in my jaw. If I drop it down, my nose down too much, I feel it. I feel it around my occipital joint, but I fiddle around with this a lot. But the perfect place, again, what I'm looking for here in this occipital joint is neutral. I'm not flexed, which is too down, and I'm not arched, which is too up. I'm looking for just right. I'm like the Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I want just right. And just right for 99% of the people maybe unless they've had some nose job, is to have the bottom of their nose, the horizontal part, the part that is just above your lip, ever so slightly, like a centimeter down from parallel to the ground. So now I can move my head all over the place. I can turn my head. I can keep my head straight and move my eyes. But why I think this is important, absolutely, I want instructors to say, look up. But what I so often see is the response that the person gives to look up is, again, that A-type personality. They overdo it and they look up too much. And then they're putting strain on their neck and their occipital joint. It's also taking their head out of balance with the rest of their body. So it's not that I don't want you to look up. I absolutely do want you to look up. I want you to know what's going on. I want you to be able to look and turn and see where you're, what, what's happening. I just want it to be done properly. Yep. Okay. Okay. I know that makes sense. Now I've got one here that I know I was told to do, and that's to follow the motion of the horse with your seat. And once I got it, it made sense. But it's the getting it. We know what we want, but to someone who's just starting, you know, who is rigid, a bit nervous and a bit worried, and, and we want them to just follow that movement of the horse with their seat, what's the best way to teach that or explain how to follow the movement of the horse with our seat? Yeah. Again, you're right. It's not an easy thing to do. And the other thing that I also he hear is push with your seat. So first of all, it's following. I like to say, allow your seat to follow the motion of the horse. Okay. So I've got two pistons, two horses, hind legs that are pushing forward and they are pushing against my seat. My seat should move because there's 
energy being put against them. So let's even do it at the walk. Sometimes for people when they're so rigid and so scared, I'll say, okay, don't want you to ride pretty. I want you to ride really ugly. I want you to be a blob. And I truly let them be a blob, be a blob, because then the muscles around their pelvis will let go and then their muscles can start moving. Do I want them riding like a blob? Absolutely not. But sometimes until you feel something, you can't recreate it. You just, you can't find that, right? And I don't think you can learn to push with your seat until you figure out how to allow your seat to be pushed by the horse. So that's one thing. The other thing is I see people in their very, very good attempts to follow with their seat have locked hips. And so instead of following with their seat, they follow way, way, way high, almost up from their diaphragm. And that's when you get people that are really kind of rocking with the motion of the horse. I mean, there's just a lot of upper body comes back, upper body comes forward, upper body comes back, upper body comes forward. There is this shifting around this center right around their diaphragm. And the real shift should be coming more from the hips and the sacrolumbar joint right around that pelvis. So again, I want people to learn to let go first. And that's such a hard thing, that letting go and then being able to push with the motion. I see a lot of people who in their good attempts to follow are actually trying to create a rhythm with their seat and it is not with the rhythm of the horse. So what I'm saying is the rider is actively moving. I think you need to learn to inactively move and then learn to move, which is not an easy thing to do. You need to be able to let go let go. And again, I will literally say to people, all right, you're posing. People ride in a pose. They pose. Oh, look at how pretty I am. And I'm like, no, you're not pretty because you're just sitting there. You're not with the horse at all. Ride as ugly as you can be. Let everything go. Just let, let pretend I'm not here. Just almost collapse so that they can figure out how to move with the horse. Then you can kind of bring that back up. But actively telling people to follow the motion, I have a hard time with. I think it's allow your body to be moved by the horse. I think that itself is just a much more relaxing way to think about it. You know, instead of saying this is what you've got to do, you're just saying allow it to happen. Right, right. And I think so often with people, I tell people, the hardest thing to learn about riding is how to do nothing well. And what I mean by that is that sometimes, again, good attempts, they're aiding a horse without even meaning to. So again, there's rigidity there. There's a collapse. There's whatever it is. You have to, I think that's why little kids who, you know, they've learned to ride on ponies bareback. They get it because they're just relaxed and out there having a good time. And then when they're older, they start having a lesson. But they learn how to just go with the flow. When you're an adult, letting go and going with the flow is a tough thing. So giving yourself permission to go with the flow, to get your body. And the other thing is, in, in terms of using your seat, we've talked about this before. If your pelvis isn't in the right place, it's going to be almost impossible to get to. So we've got to have that neutral pelvis or a slightly posterior tilt in your pelvis in order for that flow to even have a chance to happen. Yes. And I think if anyone's interested in going into that a lot more depth, go back to um, Jennifer's previous chat where she talks about um, exercises to help with you know, where to put yourself in the saddle and exercises to find that spot and to become a bit more flexible around that. Jennifer, following the motion with your seat is good, but what about following the motion of the horse's head with the hands? What can we say there? And, you know, <laughs> I'm, kind, I'm kind of, 
I'm trying to kind of say exactly what I just said about the seat. I think I watch people who actively are, especially at the walk, pumping with their arms or at the canter. They're pumping. That's not following. That's pumping. That's that's being active. What happens if you allow the horse, I'm going to say, to hold your hand? So the horse can hold your hand with his mouth, essentially. He's holding the bit. He's holding your hand. And kind of like if you were walking down the beach holding a kid's, a little kid's hand, you're walking down the beach or walking with your best bud, you're walking and there is, you know, your, your arms move, your, your hands are moving. There is a movement there, but you're not actively moving your arms. That would not be pleasant, not for anybody, but as one person moves, the other one kind of moves with. So what if it's the horse that's moving your arm? the horse that's moving your arm, the horse is taking you. And frankly, to me, we talked about this earlier on how do I keep a still hand? I have to have, I have to be able to disassociate this whole arm complex from my torso. I also have to have very elastic elbows. Let me change that. I have to have the ability to have them be elastic. If my shoulder, my elbow, and my wrist are elastic, and the horse's head moves, my arm is going to go with it. And as it comes back, it's going to spring back. It's being taken, and it's allowed to come back. It's an allowing motion. It's not a forcing motion. Now, as you get to be a better rider, you know, maybe a pre-St. George rider, or maybe even a second-level rider, and you're going to an extended walk, and you are actively using your seat to ask for more walk, your arms, because the walk gets bigger, there's going to be more motion in that arm because it's, it's, again, it's following, but it's not pumping on its own. It's allowing, it's being taken and it's coming back and it's being taken and it's coming back. So it's, again, the thought of being, of allowing something. And again, I really like the whole idea of what does it feel like to hold somebody's hand while you're walking down the beach? What does that feel like? And that's the feel I want as that horse is moving its head. I'm there. I'm there with them, but I'm not being active with it. Otherwise, you're going to get some rigidity in those joints. And you can tell I'm not happy with rigidity. I want tone in your muscles, but elasticity in your joints. I suppose that's similar to hold, don't pull. You know, is there something else we need to talk about with the whole hold, don't pull? Yeah. And it's so, so, so easy. Again, I can remember, again, as being a kid, my instructor saying, hold, well, I would hold it. I, I mean, I was holding, man. I was holding. And I was like a little rigid ball, okay? That's not holding. That is actually pulling. So again, I, I want to do <clears throat> an experiment. Um, if you're sitting in a chair that has a back and you can put um, your upper arm against the back of the chair and your forearm is at a 90 degree angle to your upper arm. Okay. I want you to just slightly press, don't pull, press your upper arm into the chair. You'll be engaging your triceps a little bit. And I would also want you and let that go and then press again and feel when you do that you get a little bit of reaction into your abdominals. Not a lot, but there's some there. Do you feel that? Okay. Now I want your elbow so that, well, no, we can do it. You're going to make a fist with your arm, with your hand, sorry. And instead of thinking about pressing your upper arm into the back of the chair, I want you to pull back with your hand and relax. And then pull back with your hand and relax. So what is the difference in the quality in your torso between pulling back with your hand and your arm 
and pressing back into the back of the chair. Do you feel that? Yeah, I think so. So pulling back is going to um, just make us a bit more tense and it's a pulling sort of a, a motion, whereas right. just pressing, you know, it's, it's picking up. You've got the feeling. You can feel it there, but mm-hmm. it's not an opposition-type feeling. And it's hard sitting in a chair. If you were standing up and doing this and I was saying, you know, pretend you're pushing into something versus you go ahead and pull and your elbow comes behind you. It's very, very, very difficult when you're just pulling to access your abdominals or your whole torso, your whole core. When you press with your triceps back into an imaginary wall, your arms don't go behind you. They just press. It's an isometric. You get the isometric happening in your whole torso. That's holding. Notice that if you press with your upper arms back, you can still be really soft with your forearm and your hands. You can still play with the reins. You can get really firm. You can really engage your abs if little horse is pulling you more. He's pulling on you. But you can be really flexible and I can move my forearm, I can move my wrist, I can move my hand. If I'm pulling, all of that becomes rigid. And I don't have access to probably the most important part of our body, which is our seat, which is really our core. I consider our seat to come from basically your diaphragm to your high up in your thighs. So I can get really strong with holding but still be supple in my arms if I'm holding with my core and my triceps. The minute I go to a pull, which goes into my biceps and my shoulders, I gain rigidity in my arms and I will lose my core. All this makes so much sense. You know, I think, I think the way you explain it is just making people more aware of what they're doing with the individual different parts of their body. Absolutely. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. And once you get that and once it becomes part of you, you know, your muscle memory will will figure this out. And the good news about all of this stuff is that once the muscle memory kicks in, I mean, my goal for people is that they don't have to eventually think about their bodies anymore. They have to think about all the other stuff. Is the circle round? Is my horse pushing his haunches out? Did I pick up the right canter lead? Oh, is, do I have enough bend in my half pass? Do I, you know, am I straight to the jump? Whatever it is. Not, oh my God, are my heels down? Am I pulling? Am I, am I, am I pumping with my, I don't want anybody, I don't want you to have to think about any of that. You know, there's just so much more, fortunately. That's the fun stuff. Yeah, Jennifer, before we go, tell us, and something an instructor might say to a student, get your horse in front of the leg. How would you, because often if a rider's not confident, they don't want a horse that forward or or what can we get a little bit more, um, what, what can we do to help those riders with that sort of a comment from their instructors? You know, in front of the leg, I mean, again, it's one of those things, it could be interpreted so many different ways. Get it faster. No, I don't want that. Use more leg. I frankly don't want to do that either. I I frankly want to be kind of a lazy rider. I want my to respond. I, 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 as the rider, get to choose how much leg I want to use to have something happen. So let's say I'm walking and I want to trot. To be in front of the me means my horse is extremely responsive to my leg. All right. And as I become a more advanced rider, I want that responsiveness to be quicker, sharper, faster, more powerful. All right. So my idea of in front of the leg and someone who's only been riding for two or three years is going to be two totally different things in, in my book. What it means to me is is my horse responsive 
to the leg aid that I give him or her in the amount I want to give. So for instance, you know, if a beginner got on my horse, they'd be scared out of their minds because they put a little bit of leg on. He'd go, oh, extend a trot. Well, I don't want that for that person. That's not right. But I see people, they're walking and their horses have gotten so dull to their leg that they're squeezing and squeezing and kicking and squeezing and kicking and squeezing and kicking and squeezing. And I'll hear people say, your horse has to be more in front of the leg. And I'm like, well, what the heck does that mean? It means your horse needs to be more responsive to your leg. So I like to teach people how to get them more responsive to the leg. I, until they get better at it and the timing of it, I tend to try to help them with it. But I will walk up to someone and I'll put my hand underneath their calf and I say, okay, so how much leg do you think you should need to push on my hand to go from walk to trot? And usually it's about 20 times as much as as much effort as I want to have. But I go, all right, no, I don't want that much. How, How about this much? And we find whatever this is that makes them comfortable. And I will walk around with my whip. Let's say I'm on the right side of the horse with my left hand under their leg and a whip in my right hand. And I'll say, okay, put that on. And little horse, who poor little horse has gotten just dull, right? It's gotten dull because somebody's been squeezing its guts out, you know. I give it a little tap and it goes, oh, what, what, what? Just a little tap because I don't want to get it so revved up that, but we do this a few times to so that the horse gets the timing right. And then I go, okay, now put the leg on and the horse goes, okay, here I go. For me, that's in front of the leg for that person. I will then try to teach them how to do that on their own in terms of the timing and with the whip, it tends to be hard. I personally don't like to do this with kicking. And the reason I say that is because I find most people when they kick, kicking is an art form as far as I'm concerned. And you need to do it right. You can't get your body out of balance. You can't get tight somewhere else. Someone will kick, they lose their balance, they pull their horse in the mouth. And it, it to me, it opens up another can of worms. For me, usually, there are other horses that are, look at a whip and go, oh my God, oh my God. And you can't do what I'm t- saying about wh- how I like to do that. But I like it. I don't like the term use more leg. I like to use get your horse more sensitive to the leg you want them to be sensitive to. And then teach people how to do that. And then your horse will be more in front of your leg. But your horse has to be sensitive to your leg. Same to the hands as well. It needs to be sensitive. Yes. And if the horse does respond to the leg aid, that also puts the rider in a different position because they can actually sit there and focus on their position rather than feeling like they've got to kick their horse along every single stride or... Right. Begging, 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 begging. I mean, I, I just don't want to work that hard. And I, I, and, and to me, that is just not a fun horse to ride and you can have a super safe horse. You know, they learn to, Oh, if mom isn't squeezing, then I walk. Or if mom isn't kicking, 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 then I walk. You just have to re, you know, re, re, reach, essentially retrain them, which takes about, you know, usually about 30 seconds. Oh, you mean I'm supposed to keep going? Yes, I do. But that's hard to do when you're a beginner or even an intermediate horse or on a new horse or, you know, whatever that is. But responsiveness to the leg as opposed to the term more leg or get in front of the leg. Your horse should be taking you with him. You should not be pushing him along. Jennifer, I think all of these, it's it's been great throwing some things in at you saying, well, this is what a common command, you know, for an instructor is, and then you've been able to dissect them down and go into a lot more depth about what's really required. So I think that's been great. And, you know, I think if people would like to um, listen to 
Jennifer a little bit more, I think just go to horsechats.com, movement body awareness specialist for equestrians. If they probably moody movement body awareness, go and search for Jennifer. There's quite a lot. Cachillo's a little hard to spell, so we won't worry about that. It is K-O-T-Y-L-O. But um, otherwise, if people would like to contact you direct, Jennifer, what's the best way? Um, well, worldwide, it is probably email. And that is J-K-O-T-Y-L-O at yahoo.com. Or my phone number, my cell number is uh, U.S. So the country code is 01, I think. Uh, 312-719-0283. Or they can always find me on my website, which is jennifercatillo.com. Okay. And if you missed any of those details, just go to horsechats.com, search for Jennifer, search for body awareness. And I think you'll find her contact details on the bottom of each of her pages each time she does a chat. So um, if this is the sort of stuff that you want to get into in a lot more depth, then certainly contact um, Jennifer. And I think think anyone who's doing any teaching, anyone who wants to improve their position, anyone who wants to improve their riding, and Jennifer's certainly got a lot to offer there. Jennifer, thank you again for coming on, and um, we'd love to have you back again soon. Well, thank you very much. I always enjoy chatting with you. (laughs) Thanks, Jennifer. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.